Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I'd like to tell you guys that I spent a copious amount of time last night deciding which of the two teams I really wanted to do for this Friday weekend show, but I kind of just flipped a mental coin. And uh, the coin came up heads, but I hadn't assigned it to anything. So then I decided I'm just going to continue to go in the order that the teams would indicate. Which means that on today's show, we're talking Clippers. The 42 and 40 Clippers who basically did it without any superstars. Just grinding. Grinding, win after win, playing the hot hand over and over again. Mixing and matching and maxing, mitching, <laughs> blending words together. And coming away with, by all accounts, a relatively productive season, although one that was stymied by the Pelicans coming up big out of the lower half of the bracket. And that was with Paul George back for one of their two games. Remember, he got COVID before the second play-in game. But, you know, it was one of those things. I had the Clippers. I had them as a season win total over. They didn't get there because the number was obviously built on the notion that Paul George was going to play for this team, and then he didn't. But, of course, at the same token, next scene is going to, is going to be very different than this year. This season was played largely without Paul George, the main usage guy on that team. We knew Kawhi Leonard wasn't going to be a part of it. Paul George was a little bit more of a surprise, at least in terms of how much did we think he was going to be a part of it. PG this year was number 11 on a per-game basis, but he barely played in 30 ball games. I think it was 31 when all was said and done. Nick Batum played in 61, he beats the Zubats 78, Luke Kennard 70. No, wait, there were a couple less than that, I think. That's including the play-in game, so that shouldn't actually be part of our analysis. So the problem with the Clippers is while we could very easily look at what they did this last season, I'm not sure how much it helps us. Because PG, who was in there taking 21 shots a night when he was healthy, missed more than half of the season. So what's next year really going to be? Let's assume, for argument's sake, that both PG and Kawhi are good to go on opening night, which they probably will be. Those guys are signed for next year, the following year, and then they each have player options for the year after that for about $50 million. So they seemingly, I think they might even have opt-out. Do they have opt-out clauses? They might have those in there. But I'm going to assume that they're going to be a part of this thing because they're making a, a, a boatload of money and, you know, they got what they wanted. They're there. Clippers, from a salary standpoint, are just through the moon in the next couple of years. They've got PG and Kawhi set to make $43 million apiece this coming season. Marcus Moore... At 16 mil, Norman Powell at 17, Kennard at 14, which was like one of those all-time overpays. Rob Covington, who's actually on a pretty damn reasonable deal, at about 12 mil. Reggie Jackson, 11. Zubats, 7.5. Nick Batum has a player option for three and change. I would think he could probably make more than that if he wanted to. I don't... Maybe not. I don't, 
three and a half million dollars. What, what am I complaining about? Three and a half mil. I don't know. We'll see. But that doesn't even really factor into things. Then you got a couple of cheaper guys. Terrence Mann is not making very much money. He's at like two mil. So regardless there, that, that doesn't really matter. The key point here is that the eight most expensive contracts on the Clippers are back next year. They're already on the books. PG, Kawhi, Marcus Morris, Norman Powell, Luke Kennard, Rob Covington, Reggie Jackson, Evita Zubats. All eight of those guys are already on the books for next year for close to $160 million. That's a ridiculous sum. So the Clippers aren't going to be able to do a whole lot. At the same time, do they need to? Do they need to do a whole lot? You know, they're already on paper a championship-caliber team, provided they have both PG and Kawhi healthy for most of the year. By the way, I'm Dan Vespers. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. I think I forgot to even do the opening because I wanted to just run right into what we had talked about yesterday, which was, hey, uh, which of these two teams are we going to do, Clippers or Hornets? We'll do Hornets next week. In terms of who had fantasy value this season on the Clippers, it's... I think more important to look at kind of the last three months, which is P.J. was back for a little of that. He played in six games, if you include the play-in, so not many. Rob Covington played in 14 games kind of down the stretch. Isaiah Hartenstein played in most of them. And those are the only three guys for the Clips that were inside the top 100 over that stretch. Norman Powell was working his way back into game shape, and he was close and had he have gotten all the way to full health, he would have been inside the top 100. So it maybe could have been four. But the other problem with the Clippers, of course, is that everybody was getting somewhere between 22 and 28 minutes per ballgame. There weren't really any guys on the team, other than Reggie Jackson this year, that were kind of guaranteed starters minutes when they were healthy. Paul George was the other one, but he wasn't healthy. So what the hell does this mean going into next year? Uh... It's fairly important to look at some Clippers box scores down the stretch when Paul George was actually playing. So, uh, last game of the season, I don't think PG played in that one. That was an everybody gets to rest game. Where's their one before that? They play on that last Friday? Clippers have a game on that last Friday, or was it that last Saturday? They go back-to-back to end the year. Yeah, they went back-to-back to, back to end the year. They hosted the, the Kings and the Thunder. And if you look at the Kings game, Paul George played in that one. And he played 33 minutes. It was a blowout win, so it's not perfectly accurate. But the starting lineup in that game was Paul George, Nick Batum, Ivica Zubats, Marcus Morris Sr., and Reggie Jackson. Rob Covington came off the bench for 20 minutes. Norman Powell came off the bench for 22 minutes. But again, he was still kind of working his way back from injury. If you can try to extrapolate that into next year, and you drop Kawhi back into the mix as the starting small forward, that likely pushes Nick Batum to the bench. The rest of these guys might actually stay where they were. Marcus Morris might still be the starting power forward next year. Ivica Zubac might still be the starting center next year. Reggie Jackson, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Marcus Morris, and Ivica Zubats. Or do they go Morris to the bench, 
play Kawhi at power forward and use Norman Powell in the starting five. My assumption would be that they'd prefer to have someone like Powell coming off the bench, kind of a bench gunner role so that Kawhi and PG can have their minutes limited a little bit. They don't have to have one of those guys on the floor at all times. There's always kind of two scoring options in every unit on the floor for the Clips, but I don't know for sure. What it does do is it dramatically mitigates the fantasy impact of anybody other than the superstars, even though this team has a number of guys that can actually get their fantasy stuff in fewer minutes per ball game. If we thought Rob Covington was going to get 22, 23 minutes a night, maybe you give that a look, but that's not even guaranteed. He was only playing 20 through 24 minutes a game when the team was battered and bruised this year. Throw Kawhi back into the mix, and all of a sudden you've got this sort of souped-up edition of Rob Covington. So how much do you need him with those other guys? You've already got all the defense on the planet on your wings in PG and Kawhi. The number of options, I mean, Luke Kennard is still on, Terrence Mann is still on this team. There's, there's other guys that are going to be asking for minutes too. Uh, I believe Isaiah Hartenstein actually is off the books now. I don't know if that'll be a thing, but whatever. Like, okay, fine. If you want to take the Avica Zubats plunge, have at it. But, you know, we've seen it before. When the team's healthy, he's a relatively safe, like, third center for your fantasy team. But there's no upside there with Zubats. Best case scenario for him is, like, top 125, plodding along as kind of a reasonable uh, head-to-head option. A reasonable head-to-head option. Because he's probably going to be one of the more durable players on the team. And that's a that's a feather in his cap. It's not useless, but from a roto standpoint, it's just not interesting. And on a head-to-head side, what are you going to do? You're going to take him in like the 13th, 14th round of your head-to-head draft and say, well, you know what, at least I got this center that I can just drop in there every night and it'll probably be okay. You could, but it doesn't really get the juices flowing, does it? So let's start at the bottom of the names that I would even consider. You can wipe off the board pretty much anybody that I didn't talk about already. And the guys that we'll keep in on sort of in our circle here that we're going to discuss are Marcus Morris Sr., Reggie Jackson, Zubots, who we already talked about, Powell, Covington, and the two superstars. Would I draft Reggie Jackson next year? No, not under any circumstance. He's a field goal percent killer. And if any other star-level player is on the floor, he's not going to get enough assists to cover the lack of defensive stats and bad field goal percent. It won't be enough. So, no. Off the board, uh, he's probably looking at 14, 15 points per game if PG and Kawhi are both floating around. That's way not remotely close to enough to support the, the holes in his fantasy game. Marcus Morris, same general story. He's a guy who doesn't do much besides... Shoot threes, score, that's about it. Good free throw shooter, bad field goal percent, because he's mostly shooting three-pointers. He needs at least a dozen shots a game to have fantasy value. I don't think he's getting that when these when this team has their superstars around. I didn't even bring up Terrence Mann because I don't care. You get into the last five names on that list. Five? Four. I think it's four names on that list. Zubots, who we talked about, head-to-head, late, late, late round target, not Roto. 
Norman Powell, it was five names, by the way. Norman Powell is someone I might consider with a very late pick in whatever format. Because there's a chance that he ends up in kind of that Lou Williamsy sort of role where, yeah, PG is going to get his 18, 19 shots a game and Kawhi is going to get his 18, 19 shots a game. But there's going to be that third guy that's got to come in and chuck. And Norman Powell, they're going to say, come off the bench. And when you come into the game, you're firing. You're go, go, go. You lead that unit. You're the guy. Ball's in your hands in the second unit. Go nuts. And that'll be enough some nights. So you're probably looking at top 115 kind of value with him. Rob Covington. Yeah, there is some stat set upside built in with Rocco because we know steals, blocks, and threes are always going to be juicy as heck. But where's the opportunity coming from? There are so many names on this Clippers team. Zubats, Powell, Covington, that we've seen post-fantasy success in the past that they're going to be squeezed this coming year. There are just too many players that are all going to be vying for the same minutes. And now... You've got to consider the notion, and I don't know if Reggie Jackson's going to get his 30 minutes a game. Maybe, maybe not. It doesn't even really matter. Because when PG and Kawhi are healthy, they're going to get their 32 to 35 minutes a night. That just doesn't leave that much in the way that there was a whole lot more this year when those two guys weren't around. You're talking about 65 to 70 minutes and probably 35 shots a game from the superstars that were just dropped into the bucket for everybody else. If you suck that out of the bucket, yeah, it's not going to come from just one guy. It's going to come from everybody. But that's a ton to try to siphon away. Reggie Jackson taking 16, 17 shots a game for stretches this year. That's going to probably drop by three or four shots a night, at least, I would think. Norman Powell, can he get to a dozen looks this year? I don't know. It's a guess, and almost anybody telling you that they really know for sure is selling you on a mildly educated guess. And frankly, I don't think the upside is worth the, the spend. The only way you get me interested in any of these peripheral clippers is if they're all still on the board in the 10th round. So pick 109, which I believe is the first pick of the 10th round, if every one of those guys is still on the board at pick 109, you could probably talk me into Norman Powell or Rob Covington in that zone. You could probably talk me into it. Because you know, with, with the steals and the blocks and the threes, Rob Covington, he can hit top 100 in 23, 24 minutes a game because he just doesn't need that much usage. Norman Powell... He's going to need some usage, but maybe you could talk me into this notion that maybe he'll get some of it, that he'll sort of be like the third guy. I think he's a more effective scorer than Reggie Jackson. From an efficiency standpoint, I think that's almost not really even arguable. Reggie, a better passer, but do is that what's going to be needed? So there's a is that what's going to be needed issue there with, with someone like Powell. At least with Covington, you'd be like, look, like every team needs a guy who plays crazy good passing lane defense and can spread the floor and can also bang a little bit and rebound. Everybody needs that. But you're talking about 
Covington, it was a guaranteed. He's probably guaranteed 19 minutes a game this coming year. Maybe he gets up to like 22 to 24. Maybe. Norman Powell, he's probably guaranteed about 22, maybe a little more than Rocco because of his scoring prowess, but I doubt he plays more than 24, 25 minutes at night. So what's the point? If you tried to if you came to me and said, "Dan, I want you to draft Rob Covington," you'd kind of and this is pretty weird cuz you know most years I'm like, "Yeah, hell yeah." Uh you're going to have to kind of talk me into it. Down the stretch with the Clippers, he put up really good numbers, but he was also shooting 52% for the last month of the year basically, and that's not a sustainable number for Rocco. The steals and the blocks, those are sustainable. The almost 3 threes a game is probably not I don't think that's the kind of thing that's coming, but at least, again, there's some stat set upside. So if anybody else, of those two in particular, I'd probably lean Covington over Powell as the, like, who would you consider in the 10th round on this team? Covington over Powell. If Rocco wasn't there and it was like Norman Powell or some other guys on the board, I'd probably really try hard to find someone else on the board. What about the big names? What do we do with the big names? <sighs> That's a tough one. You've got PG. Who hasn't really been healthy with the Clippers at all. You've got Kawhi, who is not even going to try, really, to be healthy. I mean, that's the wrong way to phrase that. He's going to try to be healthy, but they're not going to try to play him a decent chunk of games. I'm thinking that coming into an 82-game season, the target number of games for PG and Kawhi in the regular season is like 67-68. So whichever of those guys you're drafting, you have to assume that a best-case scenario is those guys getting to the league average in games played this coming year. So that's in a best-case scenario. That means nothing horrible happens. You don't have anything more than a couple of, you know, maybe one ankle tweak and like a sore knee for a game or two, and maybe they can kind of build that into the the back-to-backs that they're probably going to be sitting. Because if this team comes into next year healthy, they're well above play-in tournament level. They're not going to have to be sweating the 7, 8, 9, or 10 seed. They'll be fine. The fact that the West has so many good teams and isn't, like, the East has that, has more okay teams the west had like six or seven really good ones and then there was a more uh precipitous drop off but again the clippers got to 42 wins this year four games back of the seven seed six games back of the six seed without either superstar and i know basketball is not linear there's only so much that a guy can add but you put pg and and Kawhi on a team for 60 some odd games a piece they're gonna win a good chunk of those 60 some odd games so the Clippers next year probably get to 50 wins, if I had to guess. They're probably up there in that like 4 or 5 range, maybe better depending on how the, the you know the season treats them health-wise. But 
I don't really see how you draft either Paul George or Kawhi Leonard in any head-to-head format. I don't. Um, I just... Whatever argument that I throw into my brain on these guys is immediately jettisoned by the notion that, one, Kawhi is coming off... I mean, this is a guy who was getting load-managed anyway, and then is coming off uh, a year-and-a-half rehab injury. So, you know, the target for him is mid-60s. And then Paul George, during his three seasons in L.A., 48 out of 72 games, 54 out of 72 games, 31 out of 82 games. From a health standpoint, it hasn't been even in the vicinity of okay for PG. It's almost been worse. At least with Kawhi, we knew he was done this year. Woof. What about on the Roto side? I I don't think that there's that many people that are going to argue with me on whether you should draft those guys in head-to-head. I, you know, I, th- I think we can all basically agree that the risk is just too great, that like the farthest that Kawhi falls is probably late second round, and the farthest that PG falls is probably early third round. And at that point, yeah, you're probably going to get a better-than-that number ADP per game, I should say production on a per-game basis, but by totals, there's, like, there's almost no chance that they come close to it. Right? Right. They're going to have to get to... Okay, let's let's set up a hypothetical example here. Let's say that Kawhi Leonard gets drafted around, I don't know, 16, 17 this season. How good would he have to be for it to work? Well, in all likelihood, Kawhi is a top six per game fantasy guy. Even in what I assume will be a little bit of a down year, he'll probably be top seven at the worst. Maybe eight at the absolute worst. How many games would he have to play if he was getting drafted about a round back of that? He'd probably have to play about... Well, it wouldn't have to be league average number of games because that would get him into the first round. He'd probably have to get to about 60 if you drafted Kawhi Leonard at 18, he'd probably have to play about 60 games to have an, a totals value of that, of like 16 to 18. Could he do it? Yes. Would it be brutal in head-to-head? Absolutely. Would it be workable in Roto? Mm, maybe. Because we all know how intensely special those guys posting first-round per game value can be. If you can get 60 games out of someone like that, that you picked up towards the end of the second round, it's actually workable. And it's what Kawhi had been for a couple of seasons prior to that most recent injury. I mean, just go back to, what was that, 2019, 2020? No, it was 2021. I can do this. Because he played the season before he got hurt. What was he at in that one? 60-some-odd games? No, 52. He got hurt. Uh, He missed more games than I realized, but it was only a 72-game season. So he played 52 games. He was number six per game, uh, and he was number nine by totals because he missed about six, five or six games more than the average player, but he was so good per game 
that by totals, he still beat his ADP, which was like around 12 to 14. So yeah, he could miss 20 to 22 games next year. And if you drafted him in the middle of the second round, he'd probably beat that ADP, even though in a head-to-head league, you probably don't want that because, yes, you need the first round per game production, but you also need someone that's just going to be on the floor in your playoffs. I'll say this before I even get into the Paul George thing. It's going to be a lot easier to talk me into drafting Kawhi Leonard than it is going to be to talk me into drafting Paul George, even though PG was actually healthy at the end of this season, minus missing the uh, second play-in game with COVID. His Tommy John situation had rectified itself. But I just don't like what Paul George brings to the table anymore. Their injury risk almost feels bigger than Kawhi, which sounds insane, but is kind of true. Because PG's per-game stuff now is decidedly second-round level. His steals have tapered off a bit. He's pretty much, like, chucking at times on offense. And sometimes he gets hot and it really works. And don't get me wrong, like, he's going to put up pretty big numbers, but it's not Kawhi level where the turnovers are low, both percentages are dominant, on top of the fact that he does, you know, he gets points, boards, assists, threes, which, you know, PG does that as well. But Kawhi's incredible field goal percent, his positive impact there is one of the big things that separates it. But both of those guys are huge risks, and from a Roto standpoint, it's going to come down heavily to where they're getting drafted. Again, my guess here in the early going is they get drafted PG probably towards the end of the second round, maybe like 24, or almost maybe the very end of the second round. I bet he goes between 22 and 28. He's in that chunk of guys. And I think Kawhi probably goes about a quarter to a half round earlier. I would I would consider Kawhi and Roto at that price. I don't think I'm drafting Paul George at that spot. It's too dangerous, and there isn't really first round per game upside anymore. We'll check back on the clips, but I don't know that much is changing for this team between now and then. Then being fantasy draft time. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk Hornets. Maybe they'll have a head coach by the time we talk about him on Monday. Maybe it'll be Mike D'Antoni. Then you just draft everyone on that team, by the way. Spoiler. If Mike D'Antoni's the head coach of the Hornets, you draft everybody. Every Hornet you can get your hands on, you just draft him. Go crazy. I'm Dan Vespers for Sports Ethos and Fantasy NBA Today. Hey, why don't you go check out our baseball and football stuff? It's awesome. I hope you've done it already. If not, do it now and then have a great weekend. Off-season show number 40 in the books. We'll talk to you guys on Monday. Good night. Good night.